Hi friends, welcome to Why We Care, the podcast where together we explore our relationship with the natural world and learn how we can restore our connection with it. I'm your host Tiffane, I grew up in the French part of Switzerland and now live in London where I work in the environmental space, helping people and organizations connect the dot for biodiversity. Over the past few years I've come to realize and understand that the reason why we care and feel such deep hurt when we see a forest being cut down or a whale being killed is because nature is where we come from. It's our home and it's who we are and it is so central to our balance and well-being. And yet we've become so disconnected from it. Most of us in the western world living in concrete buildings, walking on concrete roads, living our lives away from the natural world. But I really do think that we need that connection with nature now more than ever. So this podcast is all about finding ways to restore that connection while protecting and regenerating the ecosystems around us. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Mary Gagan, a professor of geography at Swansea University and the chief advisor on forests at WWF UK. Forests are our strongest allies in the fight against climate change, and yet we are failing them. They absorb a third of the world's greenhouse gas emissions, are home to 80% of the world's land-based animal and plant species, and provide livelihoods for 1.6 billion people. Yet forests all around the world keep being destroyed, despite all the global pledges and declarations to protect them. So last month, WWF UK released a report called Forest Pathways, highlighting the solutions that exist to protect and restore our forests. Mary and I spoke about the report, what it means and how she hopes it will be used. She explained why forests are important and how ancient trees can help us understand climate change. And she also shared her perspective on the tension between the need for systemic change versus individual action. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider sharing it with a friend and following at Why We Care podcast on Instagram for updates. Make sure you also follow WWF UK. And if you're interested in learning more about forest conservation, I'll include the link to the Forest Pathways report in the show notes. I hope you're feeling comfortable and relaxed. Take a moment to feel grounded. Drop your jaw. Move your shoulders down, away from your ears. Take a deep breath in. A long breath out. And let's dive in. Thank you for caring and sending you lots of love. Hi, Mary. Thanks so much for being here today. Um, the first thing I'd like to ask you is, what's your story? Hi, Tiffane. Um, Thanks for having me on. It's really lovely to meet you. That's a great question. What's my story? Um, so I, my name is Mary, obviously, and I'm in the WWF UK science team as their chief advisor on forests. But I'm on loan on secondment from a university. So my day job, I'm a geographer. I'm a professor of geography at Swansea University, and I teach about trees and climate and people and environment and, yeah, kind of how we've got to where we are in terms of the climate and nature emergencies that our planet's facing and what we can learn about that journey from our trees and from our forests and hopefully what we can learn about getting onto better pathways for our forests. So I'm a, I'm a pure geographer. That's, that's my heartland subject, really. Um, how we look at our physical planet alongside our societies, which is which is really what geography does. Mm -hmm. So that's me. Mm -hmm. That's super exciting. And I mean, I've prepared a few questions. I feel like I could ask you a thousand questions because it's such a, I think it's such an interesting subject. But the first thing I wanted to, the thing I wanted to start with, uh, which I realize now might be quite broad, but why are forests important? And feel free to be as uh, broad or as specific as you want on that one. 
Essentially, it is a broad question, but it's a really important one because there's so many ecosystems and habitats on our on our planet, and they're all vital. They're all equally part of of nature and part of the way that we we work with our planet and the way that nature and the people and our societies and our climate are all interconnected. But we talk about forests a lot as kind of um kind of this. I always think if we had like a you know that top trumps game where there's different things that are the best, we always kind of talk about forests as the top trumps card in our green infrastructure in the in the infrastructure that supports um ecosystem services and and everything that our planet does for us and it's you know there's loads of numbers we we probably are quite familiar with so about 80 percent of the biodiversity on land so what we would call the terrestrial biodiversity is is housed in our in our forests in north to south the boreal forests the big sweeping pine that wraps around um around the boreal and polar regions through the temperate zones to where, where we live in, in mild, rainy Britain, way down to the tropics, to the big, you know, pulsating tropical heartlands of, of our forests. Those forests are, are so big, they cover, you know, 30% of the globe and they home 80% of that terrestrial biodiversity. And because they're really good places to grow things, obviously, um, and, and there's huge cultures and civilizations um, and communities that depend on them. About 1.6 billion people across the planet depend on forests for their livelihoods. All that greenery is sucking down carbon as well. So they lock down about 30% of our fossil fuel emissions. It's called the terrestrial carbon sink. It's really important. So we we know all those numbers, but there's there's all these other things that they do that help to stabilize our climate, which maybe we we don't, we're not so familiar with. And those are the things that I find most interesting. So within our, our natural systems, there are two really important things that help do that, help stabilize our climate. One's the oceans and the other are our forests. And I always think about this as our forests being in this constant conversation with the atmosphere. It's the same with the oceans, exchanging energy, exchanging heat, exchanging greenhouse gases. And that constant relationship, that constant conversation is absolutely critical to our stable climate. With regards to the forests, there's a huge exchange of moisture between the tropical forests and the atmosphere. And it's it's so big that it actually controls the tropical monsoons. On the back end of that, those tropical monsoons, the transition between the wet season and the dry season, it provides food security through agriculture for about two thirds of the population of the planet. So they really are this massive source of dependency for a stable climate system and, and for our food systems across huge chunks of the planet. So I think I think it's valid, even though I'm biased, that they hold that top Trump's green card. <laughs> Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. I would love if you could expand a little bit on your research. So I know that your research focuses on climate change and forests, as you said, um, but also more specifically on what the information stored in ancient trees tells us about climate change, past, present and future. So could you share more on that? Maybe explain what you mean by ancient trees and, and why they're so important? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, in my in my day job before before I was lucky enough to to join WWF, that's what I looked at. Um, I was what we would call a paleo, so a past climatologist, and specifically around, like you say, ancient trees. So, that body of work is all about understanding how our climate's changed in the past, because that helps us understand how it's changing now, and that's a prerequisite for figuring out where we're going and figuring out how to restabilize our climate and stop the 
you know the human caused climate change that is is really taking us down down a dangerous pathway right now so scientists for a long time wanted to understand that what we would call that baseline for what our climate was like before humans started enhancing the greenhouse effect by emitting fossil fuels into the atmosphere and <clears throat> and causing uh, changes to the land surface so if I wanted to know what the weather was like or if you wanted to know what, what the weather was like last last week you know you'd ask the internet right and the internet mm -hmm. would ask a meteorological service and we could get back about 100 years doing that mm -hmm. the the longest meteorological records we have on the planet are about a century before that we don't we don't have those things we didn't have meteorological stations and we didn't have weather satellites so we have to look at our natural archives of changing climates um and trees do that really well so I'm sure you've seen inside the stump of a tree, you see rings mm -hmm. and the parts of the globe where our climate is seasonal, those rings grow one per year. And they're like this amazing climate recording heartbeat. Mm -hmm. So if you've grown plants, anybody who um, has grown, grown carrots, grown vegetables, grown flowers knows that plants are heavily influenced by the weather. And it's the same for trees, just on a bigger scale. So by looking at those rings, we can see what the climate was like in the past. And when the scientists who work in that area started to look at big networks of tree ring records, so going and hunting, scouring our forests for the oldest trees to get furthest back in time, building those records up together, we started to see really frightening things. So we started to see that there were no periods in the last couple of millennia where we had the globally coherent temperature changes that we're seeing now on our planet so they were the smoking gun really for for the climate changes that we that we see now and I think that was you know for me being part of of that community started me thinking okay we need to we need to be acting on our environment and, and kind of led me to to where I am now working in conservation. Mm -hmm. I think that's so interesting and I'm wondering is there also, when we look at the knowledge stored in these ancient trees, is there also solutions or potential things that we can use to help us address climate change? Is that, can we in a way work together with those trees or with those forests to kind of, I guess, channel their, um, I don't know, th this knowledge into uh, helping us? Yeah, yeah. Is, is that a thing or not really? <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure if ever thought about it in those terms it's, it's a really interesting thing to be asked I think what we do see is everything that trees do to support nature and the way that they are connected to our carbon cycles and to our weather cycles um but we also see that they can help us to mitigate what's happening um they can mm -hmm. help us until we get our emissions to be down to zero and then we quite often forget that after we reach net zero emissions have to go negative to restabilize our climate and trees are really really good at laying down carbon so we can if we get natural regeneration of forests right we give forest space to recover we get restoration right we use planting carefully in the right place getting the right tree in the right ground for the right reasons mm -hmm. <laughs> um you know we can we can allow forests to help us mitigate and um some of the ways that we've damaged and enhanced the greenhouse um, effect but we can also enhance all of those sustainable opportunities you know there's great opportunities if we sustainably manage forests to help us move to sustainable forest economies and bioeconomies we can use our forests sustainably it's just we're not doing that right now 
Mm-hmm. So I think actually, yeah, I suppose I've never really thought about that in detail, but there are there are lots of lessons. Um, I'm very lucky because I, you know, lots of people work very remotely from the landscapes and habitats that inspire them. If you're, you know, if, if the landscapes you work on are in Antarctica and you're working in an office in in the UK, you're a long way from from your conservation homeland. But mm-hmm. I'm, you know, looking out my window right now at trees and. So I can think about those things all the time, I guess, what what they're doing when we look at a big forest canopy, a big tree canopy, or or even just on a street tree. You're seeing all those things in action. You're seeing photosynthesis. You're not seeing photosynthesis, but you're seeing green leaves and you're looking at something that's exchanging water and heat with the atmosphere and laying down carbon in its trunk. And being able to be around those processes for me is is really important. Helps me think. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, amazing. How are trees and forests being impacted by climate change? And then also something that I'm really interested in is how do you perceive the link between climate change and biodiversity loss in the forests that you work with? I don't know if that's something that you've experienced or noticed, if you have anything to share about that. Mm. Yeah, let me let me think about that first part of the question first. So so how are they how are trees and forests being impacted by climate change? Um, really badly is the is the <laughs> simple answer. We're starting to, as our climate is changing, we're experiencing more extreme climate events, both hot events and cold events, rainy events and dry events. All of those um, take forests and take trees out of the range of natural climate variability that they have experienced quite often in, in long periods of time. So animals can migrate obviously not always out of trouble we're we're seeing species huge species impacts of climate change but trees can't run away from a wildfire or or a drought so we're seeing massive stresses and huge increases in mortality of trees and increases in the rate at which forests kind of turn over their populations so our forests are actually just getting younger they're kind of having this live fast die young effect on trees Um, and that means that we're losing those big veteran giants that have holes in their trunks and deadwood and provide the richest habitat for biodiversity so the whole structure and the whole function of our forests are changing under pressure from from climate change and we're only just starting to understand that really and how those structures and functions and the services that trees and forests provide are going to be impacted by climate change so we're also seeing wildfire regimes changing in in forests and and in other ecosystems and grasslands around the world. Principally, we're seeing what we call fire weather. So so weather which is hotter, drier, windier. We're seeing more of that. We're seeing more intense wildfires. And really critically, we're seeing wildfire in places where it used to be rare. Mm -hmm. So forests, some forests are highly adapted to fires. They, They they do okay, they are damaged, but then they recover from fires. But when we have extreme and intense wildfire in forests that have not adapted to, to, to exist with wildfire regimes, then we see the damage inflicted becoming problematic. And you're having what we call canopy clearing or stand clearing fires that the forest doesn't recover from. Forests are actually quite good at recovering from quite a lot of wildfires, but we're moving into different territory where where we've got fire impacting in places where where it wasn't common and so the forest isn't adapted to it and that's really problematic Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I guess you um yeah you're asking about the link between climate change and biodiversity loss one of the things that WWF have looked at quite closely in a report called called below the canopy is 
literally what's going on below the canopy in terms of biodiversity and wildlife. When we look at how much forest we have and how our forests are doing, we tend to quite often just look at quantity. So maybe we just look at how much forest we have, how much forest have we lost and how much have we gained. But not all forests are equal and not all of high quality. And one of the things that's happening as forests are being impacted, as we're having things like commercial over-exploitation of forest wildlife through hunting, forest products and forest trade, um, not necessarily being in everywhere in, in sustainable ways, we're getting what we call the empty or silent forest syndrome. So forests that are losing in particular their, their large faunus, their large predators. And you might have a forest canopy that from above looks like it's, you know, a healthy forest, but that biodiversity is being changed hugely inside from the multiple pressures that our forests are experiencing. And that's really, really problematic um, and something we really need to have our eye on. We can't be just looking at what we would call stem counts. So number of trees that we're planting in the ground or something like that. We have to look at the forest capacity to support biodiversity and how that biodiversity is, is being impacted. I think, I think there's sort of another element to it, which um, I suppose it's quite a strange thing. When we look at forests around us, one of the things that you'll quite often see, particularly forest managers or people who work in forestry, you could be standing in a forest that is, is looks really lush. Um, there's loads of different layers in it. There's scrubby, scrubby material on the ground and bushes. And you could actually be looking at a forest that's really degraded because actually a lot of our forests do need good sustainable management for them to, to be healthy, to be well. So that's a situation that we really have a problem with in, in the UK. A lot of our most precious, our most biodiverse, our most valuable woodland has not been managed effectively to allow that biodiversity to flourish. So we've now got invasive species coming in and species that are crowding out um, the natural woodland. So we really... It's a strange thing that you can stand in a forest that looks very well and very healthy um, and to a forester's eye, it's, it's not in great condition. So it's not just forest loss that, that we need to tackle. It's what we would, that situation, so degradation of forest, a healthy forest doesn't, isn't always visible. Um, it needs, needs a bit of closer detail and closer looking after to restore it to its healthy state. Mm hmm Okay, amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And you contributed to the Forest Pathways Report, which was recently released by WWF. What were the main findings of the report and what is the call to action? So the Forest Pathways Report launches for the first time this year. WWF will be doing a series of reports between now and when our global forest commitments are reached in 2030. Through a bunch of different commitments and goals, through time, as a, as a community, as a society, we've globally made commitments to halt deforestation and restore what's been lost. And we're just not achieving that. We're not doing that. So the Forest Pathways reports try to ask how we can get to better pathways. So we're launching at the same time as a new global assessment called the Forest Declaration Assessment. And what the FDA does is track our progress in numbers through time. So what the Forest Declaration Assessment has found for 2022 is that we're, we're really off target on meeting those goals. So in 2022, our deforestation rate was higher than it was in 2021. 
And we know what point in terms of halting deforestation we need to be at in 2022 in order to meet that 2030 goal of having stopped deforestation. And we are 20 or 30% in some cases off target. So that, that's problematic. It means the ways that we're thinking about forests are not working. So we asked a question of how we can think about forests better. So our main findings was there's these multiple threats to forests that come from our financial systems. So we're incentivizing harm to forests through environmental subsidies that mean forests are more valuable if we are seen as more valuable financially if they are converted to agriculture to support unsustainable food systems. That's really problematic. We're also providing far more money to those unsustainable harmful subsidy systems than we are to positive forest finance that helps us move towards sustainable forest economies. So you've got those sort of financial systems and food systems threats. There's a whole other landscape of threats around people that we know when we look at the places where our particularly our tropical forests are protected better, where deforestation is lower, where degradation is lower. Those are forests which are being stewarded by indigenous peoples and local communities who have their rights recognized and secured. So we need to massively accelerate that recognition of rights to the indigenous peoples and the local communities who who are the rightful owners and and stewards and governors of forests. They're they're the people who take care of them and who depend on on the stability of forests for their livelihoods. So that's another element of of threat. And then there's all the physical threats to our forests from, from climate change. If we don't meet our climate change goals, we will continue to, to harm and damage forests. So what we do in the report is try to say, what does better look like? What do we need to achieve? And our main finding is we know what those pathways look like to better. We know that we need to accelerate rights to Indigenous peoples and we need to get rid of forest harming subsidies and we need to transition to sustainable forest economies. But the ways that we're trying to achieve those things are they're very small scale and they're fragmented and we're not do- we're not doing enough of the right thing and we're still doing the harmful things. So we try mm-hmm. to lay out um, not a blueprint, a green print. I'll go with <laughs> for how we how we get our forests looked after properly to, so that we do make those goals so that we do by 2030 we are able to say we halted deforestation and we restored what we've lost because of everything that those forests are doing for people and for nature and, and for climate. We can't we can't support biodiversity and we can't support climate and, and we can't support our food systems if we don't get better on forests. Mm-hmm. Okay, amazing. And um, who is the, who do you think will be or hope will be the kind of users of that green print? Is that who, who needs to implement this? Yes. As you asked me that question, I found myself becoming a bit embarrassed about how ambitious we've been. Um, we have, we're, we're, <laughs> we need that. <laughs> we're going after everybody. So we have, <laughs> we have targeted recommendations where we're asking governments to think about their actions, where we're asking businesses to think about their actions, and where we're asking this whole landscape of change makers who look after the trade systems that impact our forests and who are able to give rights to indigenous peoples and local communities, we're asking everybody to step up. Mm-hmm. The real feature about our forests is that we have shared responsibility for looking after them. So 
we're we're really making some some big asks for all of the all of the different sectors um, from governments and businesses um, to to think about ways to get better and to have that action. One of the funny things about our forests is that we set global goals and global commitments for them, but we need national policies and national actions in order to deliver ladder up and deliver those global goals it's one of the strange ways that we define the environment if we think about our climate one of the ways that we define climate change is by the global average temperature right that's the Mm -hmm. number that we look at nobody there's nobody on the planet who experiences the global average temperature we experience the climate where we live Mm -hmm. so actually that that action needs to kind of scale down when we think about it's the same same when we think about ecosystems and our forests so we really need that national action to deliver those global commitments if we think about the commodities that we buy a lot of them are associated with deforestation and harm caused to forests so we need those national legislations in order to stop that to say no you can't bring products in um, if they're associated with deforestation one of the We've had a really groundbreaking piece of legislation in the EU deforestation regulation that that seeks to do that, that seeks to stop the importing and the moving around of goods and trading in goods that are associated with deforestation and conversion of forests. So those national and regional actions are, are how we get to delivering our global commitments. We just need more of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, amazing. Um, and I think that's such a great point. And on that note, what's your perspective on the tension between the need for systemic change and individual action? I think that's one of the things we ask ourselves a lot, even internally in, in conservation and environmental science. What's what what's the that point between the need for systemic change and what what can I do as an individual? And certainly Mm-hmm. As an environmental scientist and, you know, as a geographer, I'm asked that all the time. That's what people want to know. What's the one thing I can do? What can I do to make a difference? And we can, our individual actions are important, but I think the point is to realise what we can achieve with our individual actions and why we're taking our individual actions and not lose sight of that systemic change that's needed as well. One of the things that worries me slightly is the people who really are the change makers, the big players, the big businesses, the big governments. Sometimes when we take individual action, it worries me that it lets them off the hook. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't feel that way. If we're making sacrifices and we're making changes to our lives, you know, the big power players should be should be making those changes as well. But I do think these things ladder up if if we all take individual actions that we are able to. Everybody can't do everything, but we can all do something. There are all some things that we can change in our lives. Um, it helps us to to then think, okay, what what does the bigger picture look like? Who, where can I pressure? Where can I ask for change on on a bigger scale? Um, and not not let those big system changes off the hook. It is a really tricky one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but from from what you're saying, I, I get that it's a case of not forgetting finding what you can do as an individual but then not forgetting about the big picture and kind of the need for that systemic change and how can you also through your individual actions put pressure on the system so that it changes right right absolutely and I think I feel okay to do that we all are bombarded with asks for individual action every day Mm -hmm. um, on lots of things and it's amazing the way people are making changes and taking action and the way that we've got more voices in the room than we used to have. So I've worked in in climate and forest world for 
a very long time now, at the start of my PhD decades ago. And it was quite a lonely little odd bit of science when I started doing, <laughs> doing work, doing research as a student. And now everybody is thinking into and talking into climate space and environmental space and biodiversity space. And I think that's wonderful. It's so great that there are so many voices at really big, important tables. Indigenous peoples have made their voices heard on, on international tables around policies. And we have a huge youth voice about our nature emergency and about climate. And we have all these voices that, that just weren't there when I started studying climate change and, and changes in our forests. So that groundswell of action is is so important and it's so hopeful. It's not a lonely place to do science anymore. Everybody's thinking into this space and, you know, just on a really personal level, I I love that. I think it's so great. <laughs> I'm very grateful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it as well. It's definitely whenever I feel a bit low, I just look around and see that I'm really not the only one who cares and that's um, quite heartwarming to yeah. see. <laughs> we have so many voices and so many voices that weren't heard before. Um, mm -hmm. I think that diversity of voices, the way that that's changing. And you always have points of tension when there are a diversity of voices speaking about things that we're passionate about and issues that can be contentious and that require change. But that's the way to get to to a state where things are better. You kind of have to go through the big argument, don't you, before you, mm -hmm. before you resolve things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so the last thing um, that I'd like to end on is what's your hope for the future of humanity's relationship with nature? That's a really big question. <laughs> yeah, I thought when I was reading it, I thought, oh, that's actually quite, quite a big question. I hope you but... don't expect me to solve that all alone. Oh, no, <laughs> no, I'm just interested in hearing your thoughts. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no pressure. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's a good question. And we do. I think we all spend some time thinking about that, don't we? Particularly when we see mm -hmm. such bad news um, all the time about the impact that we're having on our world and, and how we can how we can get better. I think my big hope actually is how adaptable and how resilient humans are. Mm -hmm. I always get asked a lot when I do talks to um, little ones to children what my favorite animal is and I always say us I always say homo sapiens I'm afraid for mm -hmm. one really important reason that we have the capacity to reflect and to choose to make better decisions we always even when we've made a bad decision we still in the second that bad decision is done have the capacity and the ability and the frontal lobe in our brain to make better decisions next time we do have the capacity to start making better decisions for our planet. Um, and I think that we are a very resilient species and we are a very adaptable species. And I think that that's got to be where we have hope that we, we do all have the capacity to make better decisions as soon as possible. And I, I find myself hoping that um, our global leaders remember that they have that ability. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I'm going to stop Thank there you. before I'm really mean and rude. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was going to say, I think that's a beautiful, hopeful note to end on. So <laughs> thank you so much, Mary. That was such an interesting conversation. I feel like I could go on asking you questions about trees and forests for hours, but um, we'll stop here. So yeah, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I'm sure our listeners will enjoy the conversation as well. Thanks, Tafane. I really enjoyed chatting to you. 
Thank you, listeners. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you can, please don't forget to share the episode around you as this is really helpful for the podcast. And you can also message me on Instagram at Why We Care Podcast if you have any feedback or thoughts. It's always super lovely to hear from you. I'll see you next week. Thank you for caring and sending you lots of love.